Welcome everybody to our episode number one of Mo and Dave Conversations. Yes, I am excited indeed to be having this weekly great conversations. Yeah, Dave, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh man, Dave. Well, real name is David, but I guess uh, Dave is a little more catchy, so we'll go with that. I am the little brother in this brotherly duo, living here in sunny California, although staying indoors for... Uh, I'm sure everybody knows why I'm staying indoors, but yes. <laughs> worldwide, actually, worldwide. I, I, I am told that it is sunny outside. I do not have proof, but I am told that it is sunny. Wait, wait, don't you have window or something? <laughs> fair, it is fair. So I was exaggerating, but yes, so it is sunny. And yeah, so I live in SoCal. I am currently dating, not yet married. And my work consists of basically meeting with a lot of high school students on a weekly basis. So... That's a little bit about me. How about you, Mo? Hardly anyone calls me Mo, just like <laughs> hardly anyone calls you Dave. But uh, yeah, I'm Moses, and um, I'm living for some odd reason here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, that is. I did grow up in Southern California, and so it was a shocker for me that in the wintertime that people were recommending that we take vitamin D supplements. I was like, what? What is a vitamin D supplement? In any case, um, that's that. I am a father of two children, a four-year-old and a, and a year-and-a-half-year-old. Super cute, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm enjoying the season of life, being locked down with the family. Has <laughs> some possible benefits that your mm. children... Yeah, they don't really care at that age, you know, age one and four. They, they just... Yeah, they... They are better off with having parents as long as you can stay sane. They are better off if you can. It's spend probably more time a lot harder for you than it's on the kids, man. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, I'm a grad student at Regent College, which is a like a graduate master's degree a theological institution here. I really enjoy studying. So that's currently what we do. So you can obviously already tell that he would be the the brains behind this operation, and <laughs> I, I'd usually be more of the comic relief. I think is what it's called. Not comic relief, but maybe like a reality check. The foil, yes, <laughs> yes, the foil. No, not Very a foil. Good. Very good. It, yeah, in any case, um, it's very interesting that we are not from like a, what Korean word is there, Chebar or like the crazy rich family, oh. <laughs> but we <laughs> got a lot of travel that somehow happened in our life. Uh, you want to talk about some of the places that, you know, you got a chance to visit? Now that you mention it, man, I really don't know how the heck we, I mean, first of all, to afford, <laughs> but <laughs> so kind of, you know couple of countries that come to mind thailand right we've been there plus 10 times i think easily yeah indonesia has been a great destination for both of us i'm sure mm -hmm. i know you could probably add on to this list but some of the countries are popping in my mind after thailand and indonesia cambodia yeah japan obviously korea china dominican republic greece turkey italy you know egypt Israel, Jordan. Mexico counts. Mexico counts. Although we drove there. <laughs> right. And obviously you're in Canada, so it could be a little exotic. Malaysia. I've been to Malaysia. Many places we got to travel. Um, it's pretty astounding, actually. Somehow we got the chance to see many people and not just travel, talk to people normally in university age. Yeah. And I, w I was never a fan of those, you know, like, you know, traveling on buses and 
taking pictures and <laughs> kind of, you know having your whole trip planned out i mean you no know, i live in california right if i want a really good thai food i can drive 20 minutes and get for sure not exactly the same but you know you get 80 percent there yep so i i feel privileged that at least on our trips we were you know on the ground you know we were interacting with the natives like i remember we got invited by the friend that we made and she actually made us pad thai which is the best <laughs> Like that you know that stuff like that you know i feel like we really made most of our travels not just like took pictures and like posted on instagram or whatever but we really got to have good one-on-one time with the people i really like the way we did our travels me too i still remember that uh, obscure location next to a university in uh, indonesia where oh. there was like this grandma who just makes Yo, fried rice nastiest nasty goreng <laughs> baby but in a good way Man, that was that was some good stuff. I, I don't think anyone can replicate that kind of a stuff. No, dude. It doesn't have a name. It's not even a stall. It's, yeah, dude. It's, it's an alleyway. A corner of the alleyway. That grandma. Students know. The students know. And so I, I enjoy those kind of unrepeatable, most likely unrepeatable uh, visits. Mm. We both have some Christian ministry background. Uh, you want to talk about different organization maybe you work with? I hopped organizations a bit more than more than you, I think. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Right after, right after college, I think I just started with college ministry because mm-hmm. I was pretty much a college student myself. Mm-hmm. Felt like I could relate with them the most. Been around college ministry in Atlanta, Georgia. Did it in California. Yeah, back and forth and so what. And then recently, I've kind of switched my track into high school ministry. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's with a little outfit here in SoCal called the National School Project. Just working with high school students on high school campuses, Christian clubs, teaching how to share the gospel. So yeah. This is like what my 10th year in full-time ministry. Yeah, time flies, bro. Time flies. For a guy who never been to seminary, 10 years in 10 years in full-time ministry ain't, ain't too bad. <laughs> well, there is some benefit of just having rich field experience. I got started early. Sure, I hit the ground running, shall we say, right after college. So there's that. For me, I I think I did about 10 years of full-time ministry before I started seminary to kind of be more better equipped. Did not know what will happen uh, once I came, but yeah, seems like different plans might unfold, which I'm not sure about even now, but I think that's that. Sure, man. You never know. I might end up in seminary eventually, right? <laughs> I mean, I've been saying that for 10 years, so. Yeah, yeah. Who knows what the future holds. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? What an excellent question. I guess we can share about why we kind of decided to launch this podcast. First of all, it's hard to find good conversations in this pandemic season of our lives. Someone to share intelligent conversation with. <laughs> and very few are intelligent as you, Mr. Mo. So I'm going to value our time just chatting together. Yeah, for me too. I just enjoy talking to you, bro. And it's not particularly the pandemic, <laughs> but I think it just gives us a impetus to try something new. Uh, since we're locked down locked up trying to see what productive and good things we can do and part of the outlet i hope will be this podcast to just enjoy as you say you know a deep meaningful and stimulating conversation with one another i actually think that's one of the best parts about this particular podcast like i don't really have an agenda i know obviously mo is super smart i i consider myself reasonably intelligent yeah 
of course, we're going to have opinions. God knows we have a lot of differing opinions on that, but <laughs> there's no underlying, I'm here to educate. Yeah. I'm here to enjoy the journey, as it were. Enjoy the ideas that come forth. Enjoy picking uh, Moses' brain and hopefully enjoys picking mine. And I'm open to having my mind changed and open to new ideas. So... I'm going to thoroughly enjoy just the journey. Me too. Uh, we don't have any preset agenda to prove anything or to <laughs> show up anything. Sure. So I thought about a couple of reasons why this might be a good idea. Uh, I think first reason is what we just said. We enjoy talking to each other and the enjoyment is meant to be shared to our family and friends and you know, perhaps the world beyond. Secondly, I think it is really good to learn how to talk about real life issues hmm. um i grew up in church i'm still in church in fact i'm one of the pastors in the church but even so people have hard time talking about real stuff and we feel threatened i'm in church too by the way just just want to put that out oh there. yeah <laughs> go on go on yeah we need to learn how to talk better uh particularly over issues that we might find some disagreements hmm. in the current you know north america setting many things are too polarized as people say politics religion different things but we need to learn how to be civil and talk and enjoy even those who are different you know in their belief or you know in their mindset so i think this podcast will hopefully help us i think so the people listening in i'm sure they don't know but to be fair i, I know very little people who's more different than my brother <laughs> in terms of personality uh political opinion oh uh, yeah uh religious belief in within the bracket of Christianity, obviously. I, I still remember the vigorous debates, shall we say, we had <laughs> when we were actually within one house. Yeah. But I do agree with you. We don't know how to present ideas. Well, what was that quote? I forget. Some famous old Aristotle or something or Plato or something, right? The, the mark of intelligence is the ability to entertain an idea without accepting the idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think right now, it's so many of it's like, oh, it's, it's not even worth engaging with. And I was like, I don't know. I think, as you say, the scale of engaging with people, engaging in the ideas, entertaining them, and communicating that civilly without necessarily so-called switch sides. I think that's a long-lost art and skill that's needed more than ever today. I think so. We need to learn how to enjoy talking in a, in a very real sense in the age of Twitter, in 140 character in the age of just, mm. I think we are losing how to hold a good conversation with people we disagree at different issues. Right. I think we're spoiled, you know? Like, technology just makes it so much easier to just listen to the people you want to listen to. That's right. How does the Bible say it, right? Just find teachers that are willing to just say the stuff you want to hear. They can choose. So you kind of avoid... Or, or or the second chance, you know, you kind of make it polite to quote-unquote avoid unpopular topics, right? Just, yep. You know, just... Don't ask, don't tell type of stuff. <laughs> and either of those things, I think, help maturity, yes. right? Help civility, help help stimulate your intellect. Yep. So, yeah, I do think it is very dangerous to kind of be lulled into, into that cultural mindset. I think that kind of encapsulates why we do it Hopefully. and some of our hope too, that we enjoy this experience mm. and that others will enjoy it and that we will think better together. So what shall we talk about today? Since we're brothers, it was just natural for me to pick a topic that I know both of us are passionate about, and that is games. Yes, um, 
Even yesterday, I think we were just uh, playing around with some of the newly released co-op game. Yeah, Steam's remote play is a little buggy, but I think it's a step in the right direction. I think it kind of tries to simulate what it would be like to have someone next to you. Uh, maybe in this pandemic, this is, you know, only natural that people think this way. <laughs> sure. Uh, in any case, talking about games, um, you know, is there a particular game that you want to talk about? I mean, you know me, man. There's a lots of games we could talk about, past, present, future. There's, but I think everybody has certain games that are like close to their heart. You know, I mean, for some it's Chrono Trigger, for oh, some yes. it's like Tactics or something. You know, there's like that tier list in one's heart, and obviously I have mine too. And there's that SS plus tier. You know, I could recommend this to anyone, you know, <laughs> plus like there is, it's just all time best. You know, many come close, but this is the one I had to pick one game. And for me, it has to be StarCraft. StarCraft Boudoir. StarCraft. Yes, StarCraft. The game that invented GG, you know, <laughs> like the game that, I mean, it, it can't be, it can't be denied the game that made games into a sport. Like, yes, you can't. You can't argue with me that if you want to talk about games, you got to start with StarCraft. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Before this whole rise of the e-game industry, which we are seeing right now, uh, we already had this, even when we were growing up. Um, South Korea, actually. I mean, I would even argue, like, eSports and StarCraft Brewer scene was one and the same. Yes, there was no peer. That was it. <laughs> that was it. StarCraft was the game that got companies involved and Korea Air and Asiana and you know big companies sponsorship uh, you talk about coaches referees gaming staff these things that we associate with professional sports hey from what I remember Starcraft broadcast team oh wow the commentators oh wow. yeah and sportcasters when we talk about esports it's not just the players right it's kind of like that's right right it's a culture you, man right culture. you have to build it together there's like the cast right because you're asking these players to invest in a sport. Well, yes, because you need the players for the mm -hmm. sport. For the players to invest in the sport, though, you need the infrastructure. You need tournaments. You need prize money. You need coaching. You need casting. You need some ways for the tournaments to make money. And you need glory. It's just glory. Sure. Weightiness behind it all. I mean, people don't know. Like, every match has five-man referee team. People don't know this. <laughs> you know, people think it's just, oh, you know, guy A on a computer, guy B on a computer, and I guess they you know, play and then there's guys who talk about it and wins. But yes, by the way, every StarCraft boot has a referee team <laughs> and there's actually been controversial calls throughout history. Mm -hmm. but anyways, I, StarCraft is what made esports a sport, in my opinion. What we're going to talk about now is what do good games teach us about life? Games is life. No. <laughs> to some, game is life. Um, but I think to all of us, even if some of us are listening who are not gamers, uh, I think there's much we can learn about life. Sure. I, I think games is very easily dismissed, right, as, as escapism or fantasy or a way to relieve stress but not genuinely healthy or whatnot. But if you kind of look at great ones, especially StarCraft, there is a lot of correlation things to learn between just how the game works and how real life works yes i can go on all day but if you just want to talk about <laughs> like from within the game right so i think i think there's three major so within the game there's stuff you can learn and apply and there's stuff that's that that's 
sports scene that arose from that game mm-hmm. i think there's also tons i highly recommend boxer is the first gamer quote-unquote to make six figures he recently published the autobiography mm. Centurion, but i i i have heard that it's translated <laughs> the title goes something like crazy like me great read mm. but anyways so if you want to start from the internal aspect of StarCraft, I think what it teaches more than anything else is risk-reward. Risk and reward. Timing windows, right? <laughs> There's the early infrastructure versus the moment is now. Sounds like basic business class you know, lesson to me, the basics of entrepreneurship. Right, right, right. There, there's a time to invest and there's a time to take out, right? There's a time to invest in infrastructure and there's a time to milk the infrastructure and so on and so forth. Time to hire new workers, which is very expensive, or do something else with that money. And, you know, I mean, those are just business, real life business. People pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to just get good advice. Like, what is the next step forward? You know, that's right. Like what? Where do I take my business from? Is this the time to open up a second shop? I'm I'm just mm. gonna take your uh, entrepreneur thing and kind of run with it. Sure. Is it time to open up a second shop? Is it time to rebrand? And I can tell you with certainty that all these things have direct relationship. Starcraft. One of the big decisions is when do you take your expansion? Uh-huh. Uh Okay. Uh, non gamers. Okay. Expansion is your second base, mm-hmm. right? So if you have two bases, obviously the income that you get practically doubles because you have two bases and each base produces money, mm-hmm. right? So obviously it's great you have bases, but at what time do you sink the amount of money it takes to build a base? That's expensive, right? And so obviously you can use that money. Yeah, it has opportunity costs. So David, so if a player suddenly want to go, hey, I want double income, that's great. And then they just build a second base. What happens? Well, it's same in business, right? So let's say you expand. Let's say you open up a great bakery shop. Okay, You um, make good profits. So you kind of save up some money. Boom, you open up a second shop. Suddenly you're faced with the fact that you have to run two shops. And that's different. <laughs> They're running one shop. Oh, yes. Right? What if your second shop doesn't do so well? What if what if second shop comes under competition? Same thing in StarCraft. Right, there's two bases, but now there's double the area you have to defend. The enemy can attack base one. The enemy can attack base two. The enemy might not build their own base, put the money that they would have spent in a base, build an army, and what do you have? Two bases and no army, right? Uh-huh, then sweep you out. Exactly. So, obviously, there's an opportunity cost to everything. Thing. Mm-hmm. With two bases, there will come a time when you outproduce your enemies. Yes. But with one base, there will be a time when all the money you would have spent on a base will be an army, provided you know how to play the game. And there will be that short time when you can punish the greed of your enemies. I like the term, punish the greed of your enemy with your army. Actually, talking about army, I remember watching like StarCraft, you know, like broadcast games. And there's this word that people use called microing. You want to explain to our audience what micro is? Now you you get me fired up. Well, there's two big categories of skill, especially in StarCraft. You you could apply this to most games, Mm -hmm. strategy games in particular. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's what we call the micro as opposed to the uh, the macro or the big, right? Mm-hmm. 
So the micro is kind of what we think of as games, right? Telling this unit to do that, telling this guy to do this, telling this army to go here. Yes, micromanaging, yes. <laughs> fair, fair, that's exactly what it's called, right? So you have very minute, precise, detailed orders on very few units. And probably this is like the fun part of the game, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. this is kind of where the skill shines. Like, uh -huh. oh man, like he's telling this guy to do this and this guy does at the same time. They're all working together. Mm -hmm. and, and that's pretty much the fun part mm. in sports that's kind of how you say the individual play you know you see Messi like dodging five defenders and like you know that's like that's the highlight reel you know what I mean yeah that's when yes. you see oh man like you see those moves that's the micro part but the cool thing especially about strategy games is that those kind of individual plays are built on top of this foundation called the macro or you can call infrastructure or the big picture right? Yes, the big picture, yes. Overall strategy, grand strategy, yep. You could have five Messi's, right? But if the other team, ha well, see, so soccer is a thing because the infrastructure is set. So the game is kind of all about micro. That's right. In StarCraft, you don't, it doesn't have to be 11 versus 11. Yes, you, you can have 20 people. Always fair in love and war and you don't want to be a fair fight. You want to make it into a situation where they could have five Messi's but you have 30 Ronaldinho's, right? I mean, that that's that's the game, that's the army and that's the war you want to win. So the macro is it, very boring, right? But it is the big picture. Where do I want my economy? Where do I want my infrastructure? Where do I want the big picture, the big movement, the big growth of my uh, faction, if you will, to go? Yes. This is the grand strategy of uh, do I pursue air units? Do sure. I pursue a certain mix of a units? Uh, and for what reason? You know, what do I perceive the enemy doing? Exactly. Yeah, that kind of a big decisions. And then micro is the finer control when you do engage. Like, what does your one and each of your unit do? And I think one of yeah the spectacular moments in memory it's when people somehow overcome overwhelming odds mm. at times. I think this is a part, one of the enchanting things about StarCraft, this is a little bit of something for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So even for people who aren't actively playing the game or maybe are new to the scene, they can kind of see, like, you don't have to play soccer to understand, man, that messy character, he's 1v5, he's winning, like, you can see that, right? Yep. So, yep. Hey, look, this guy starts with 10 units, this guy starts with 20, and some other 10 is winning the 20, man, he must be really good, like, you can see that, yep. but... Us who are kind of strategy fans, you know, like we can actually see the macro. Like, how is it possible that he's this rich at this time? Mm -hmm. You know, or, oh my gosh, he's already running four bases. Yes. Or the exact units that need to come out are coming out at the exact right times and all these things. And he's in control of the field. Mm -hmm. Like, that's supremely enjoyable to watch, too, if you just are a strategist yourself yeah you know enough of the game You're like wow like his, his he's playing at another level you know yes talking of playing at another level you know there's concept of beauty mm. you know that's present in every sports like like in a basketball it's kind of like you're losing by two point mm. and then the bell rings but right before it rings someone jumped up and shot that crazy three-pointer and right. then it goes in like it, it's somehow but then it was set up it's not just fluke accident they had mm. like two seconds left and everything every pass every foul was set up for someone to be open to take that three-pointer shot and if it makes it you win that there's certain things like that in starcraft as well that's true but i also want to say in terms of skills there's this concept called the apm you, you want to explain 
Well, I haven't said that uh, abbreviation out loud in a while just because it's almost <laughs> a given. APM is actually, it's acronym for actions per minute. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of the statistics, I suppose, that you measure, like like any athlete would. Talk about football, for instance. Oh, this guy's, you know, 100-yard rush timing is this. Yes. Or uh, baseball, you have your batting average, yes. let's say. Mm-hmm. So. The player is more than these, right? But obviously, there are certain statistics that kind of is a general indicator of the level of skill. Yes. And APM is one of the general indicators of skill when you talk about an esports player. Mm-hmm. So actions per minute, basically, to make it super simple for y'all, is just the amount of command, uh, the amount of actions that you are inputting into the game per minute. So if you're like a pro StarCraft player, how many commands are you issuing every minute? Well, it's very easy to track. I obviously follow a lot of the players that I like. Sure, yeah. I mean, it varies. Obviously, there are certain moments of the game that's more action-intensive than others. Mm-hmm. But if you want to take an average, uh, a pro player on a match would go anywhere from 200 to 300 APM. That is a very rapid movement, my <laughs> friend. Um, so like for a normal average, just give people like a ballpark. So I, I've, I've been playing StarCraft for a long time. Yes. Right? And I'm a decent player, I suppose. Like I, I know what's going on, right? So yeah. I'm not staring at the screen going, hmm, like what do these buttons do? Mm-hmm. I have a general sense of what needs to be done. And I must confess that my APM averages at around 40. Okay, so that's about 1.13 seconds. You are doing one meaningful action. Right. And it's sustained throughout the game. I I know after mentioning 200 and 300, you know, my 40 sounds like super weak. <laughs> hey, that's pretty high though. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I want you to like, what does a command mean? It's literally you building, build this, you go here, you go that. Basically, it's the speed in which you're building, you're, you're drawing the picture, right? That's right. Uh-huh. There, there's, there's these two drawers and obviously the enemy is drawing a picture that ends with them winning. And I'm trying to draw a picture that ends with me winning. And APM is one of the the rate in which I am drawing, as it were. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. You can have four thousand APM, but if you're doing meaningless stuff, you aren't you're not gonna win. Right, spamming S or whatever. Yes. Yes, random click, random keyboard typing wouldn't get you anywhere. It needs to be meaningful and build up into some end game plan. That's the amazing part, you know. Like for me, like even kind of holding what I need to do at a particular point is is difficult enough. But two hundred, three hundred. This comes up because you're not only, you know, this is obviously in the professional world, right? But you're not only thinking about what you need to do, right? But you're thinking about what they could possibly be doing. Yes. Right? Uh-huh. And then you're like, you're, you're not just drawing, you're not playing single player, right? You're not just drawing your picture, mm-hmm. right? You have to respond to not only the picture that they're drawing, but you have to draw a picture based on what they could be drawing. Uh-huh. I think that, I think that's, that's phenomenal, right? I mean, I'm, observer when i'm watching i know exactly what both sides are doing because i am watching the tv show mm-hmm. but you know these players they don't know right yes so they can only see what they see and they're already doing several actions per second so they're already busy doing their thing so that's where that micro and macro thing comes in the micro needs to happen or obviously you're just gonna lose but as you're doing the micro in the back in another part of the head this whole 
giant macro picture of where I want to go, where he thinks I would go, where I think he's going to go, where I need to go and what, where I have to prevent him from going. This whole macro game is playing out in their heads and mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just spectacular to watch. Okay, so talking about micro and macro, you know, in the newly popular games like Fortnite, you know. Um, yeah. League. League oh yeah, League of Legends and Dota's uh, Dota and uh, what was a Blizzard game? Uh, Overwatch. Um, yeah. Many Valorant? many stuff came. <laughs> sure. oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, uh, in beta phase. Yeah. But these games seems to like every other week, like some new patch comes up and uh, <laughs> like your uh, very good strategy is no longer viable because mm. something changed. The rule changed. Sure. Uh, you want to talk about that for StarCraft? Oh. I think it's one of the pet peeves of mine. I think people just kind of throw the name of esport around a lot. Yes. You know, oh, you know, Hearthstone's esport because there's a lot of money involved. And don't get me wrong. Okay. <laughs> I think for it, for, for, I'm not this, I play Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. And I'm not disrespecting the game whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. But mm-hmm. there is a difference between a competitive scene and a sport. Mm-hmm. Right. You remember ESPN has like the, the rock paper scissors tournament that's competitive i guess yes i've seen that international rock paper scissors tournament sure you know but like for something to be a sport because i mean what is a sport right Mm -hmm. it's it's it is a very set set of rules the rules allow the the players to invest yes into mastering those rules and those rules kind of at both invite but also protect the players like soccer is a sport and you can kind of invest a coaching staff a training house all these things like millions this is a multi-billion Mil- dollars, millions, a million, yes. <laughs> right because why because they're not gonna like patch soccer tomorrow yes. you know what i mean they're not gonna change the goal size they're not gonna oh yeah actually we think offsides is a little op or overpowered so we're we're, we're gonna get rid of offsides mm-hmm. right like no one like they're not gonna do that yes right? and uh-huh. because you know they're not gonna do that you can invest in practicing into coming up with strategies yes uh, offside traps all these things because why? They're not going to go, you know what? It'd be fun if we let 14 people on. Like, they're not going to do that. Yeah. Right? Yes. Like, yes. I think that what that's what makes a sport a sport. It is, uh, it is that shell. And you can trust that shell. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about StarCraft, and I think one that makes it absolutely unique. And people think, oh, David, you're just a fanboy. Bada, bada, bada. Fine. But you have to give me this one because this this is just facts, okay? The last time StarCraft was quote-unquote patched or balanced or the rules have changed, right? It's 2001. 2001. That's near 20 years ago. Right. Uh, it will actually be 20 years next year. 19 years ago. Yeah. Okay? That's the last time anything, anything has changed, okay? Mm-hmm. No unit price, no build time, nothing. Mm-hmm. 2001. After this point, you can whine. But the, them's the rules, as it were. Uh-huh. Right? The stability of the rules in which you can trust in. Right. You know, like, I'll be fair. Okay, I play League. And, you know, I'm a competitive person, so I play to win. Yes. But there's many times when I end the game and I lose and I go, man, they need to patch that. You yes. Know? Man, <laughs> they need to fix that. You know, that's broken. That's overpowered. Uh, it, it, we'll go over these terms later. You know what? That's a good point. I think for some people who are listening to this, the very terminology, this gaming terminology might escape them. Mm. So while we are talking about this balancing, this game rules, why don't we take a short break okay. and just kind of talk about some of the terminology that gamers use.
I can come up with a couple and you can maybe answer, you know, so mm, you just mentioned fair, this. That's oh, that's OP, man. That's OP. <laughs> sure. Okay, what, what does that mean? OP is an acronym uh, for overpowered. It's a very simple acronym, but basically it refers to a game state where there's like a dominant strategy that seems to be too powerful for like there's no counters, right? Like you, that is always the optimal play. And that's in game design, that's obviously something you want to avoid. That's right. Just a single path. That's right. the best. <laughs> then, then everyone will take that best path, right? So, Hence no fun. <laughs> hence no fun. Hence why it is overpowered, right? It, obviously, you obviously want to avoid the other side, which is being underpowered, mm -hmm. right? Balancing, which is the other term, is basically trying to hit that sweet point between things being overpowered and things being underpowered. I see. And people do use broken. <laughs> what, what do they normally mean when they say, man, that's broken? Broken because of the term. See, balance is the ideal state. Yes. That's what all games go. The holy grail, as you will, of game design right yeah you mm -hmm. want to make a game with 80 champions you want to make a game with 16 classes you want to make a game with three races and whatnot right mm -hmm. the the holy grail of game design is they will all be in balance as it were mm -hmm. right they're all being balanced strengths and weaknesses blending into this somehow amazing equilibrium right mm -hmm. so when we say something is broken, it's not like the code is broken or it's not like it's glitching. It means it's breaking that balance. Mm -hmm. There's a unit that breaks the balance of the game, right? That skill is broken because it breaks the balance of between skills of the game, mm -hmm. right? They should be on the there's that universal law of good things should have drawbacks. Well, that skill, that hero, that whatever it is, breaks the balance of the game. That's that's what it means to be broken. I see. So then uh, we hear this in the gaming uh, world. Oh, you know, it got nerfed or, oh, that needs to be buffed. <laughs> okay, so nerfed and buffed, what's that? Right, well, you know, buff means strength, right? Because if you're a buff dude, you have big muscles, right? <laughs> so yes. buff just means, you know, you, you, you give the thing a little bit of muscle. You know, this the mm -hmm. it, it used to do fifteen points of damage, you kinda little give give it a little buff, give it a little oomph, and you know, put a little muscle on those skinniness and maybe give it twenty five points of damage, let's say. Mm -hmm. So it's to make it stronger or to make it more usable. And the opposite is nerf and that comes from uh the, your nerf gun. You have this giant <laughs> machine gun and you're shooting people and suddenly one day the, the, the developer goes, You know what, the machine gun's a little too strong, so we're gonna replace all your bullets with nerf bullets. And then so suddenly you're doing the same things and the it's a soft. right it's soft it's soft the bullets kind of bounce off their armor it was doing 15 damage and now it does like two mm -hmm. so that's what nerf is is to change your real bullets into soft form bullets you know we can talk about many terminology but i think it's fair just to say we did begin this by saying this term gg <laughs> Good game. What, what could this... <laughs> yes, good game. Uh, and can you explain the context? I mean, just to know that GG stands for good game. Yeah, it just invites misusage sure, of it, right? Sure. So, so when do you use this and like, wh what does it really mean? Well, I mean, GG... If, if there is one term that's been used and overused and misused throughout <laughs> okay. the, the history of games is probably this but it does indeed originate from starcraft by the way that's one of the reasons why i like starcraft so much too but gg means good game mm -hmm. and so it is a polite way to concede defeat uh-huh to concede defeat it, you do not say gg because haha that was a good game because i won <laughs> right because that would be arrogant and rude uh -huh. right think of think of the handshake Right after the match, Feather uh, plays, mm -hmm. you know, and and then it was a well fought match. Right, you win, 
right? You don't just walk off with the trophy and be like, haha, you suck, right? You go over to the other guy and you shake their hand. Yes, that's a good sportsmanship. Exactly. And, and the handshake, you know, obviously you won, right? Mm-hmm. But the handshake is not there to like rub it in. The handshake is to say, yes, I won and yes, I may have lost, but well fought as it were, right? It was a great match. Mm-hmm. We both did our best. The outcome is the outcome, but well fought. That's the term between GG. And mm-hmm. so when you're losing, usually StarCraft, because it's a strategy game, the outcome of it is decided way before like you actually need to play it out. Yeah, so if you see like a crazy armada coming and you got nothing to stop it, you, you would know. I mean, of course, you can just sit there and wait for every last building, every last unit to, to, to be demolished, but that's, that's in poor form. There comes a time when you and the opponent are skilled enough to realize this game is over, right? Mm-hmm. But you do want to say, hey, this is well fought. Ah. I did my best. Congrats on the win. Let's have that handshake before we kind of get out of the room. So that's what GG is. Yeah, so this is a very interesting thing because this is not offered by the victor to the loser. Mm. This is not even a, just an evaluative comment <laughs> like, hey, that was a good game. It, it's actually then humble conceit of the defeated player that you say, to the victor hey congratulations that was a fair and square you did well mm-hmm. i lost but respects so that's a that's a deep sportsmanship right there and did you know that's actually the first part if that is received well the winner should then type gg in response uh-huh and that gg is yes i do agree it was well played this was a good match Mm-hmm. So the feeling could be mutual. One can concede and you don't guarantee the victor responding, but the victor right. can also say that was a well, you know, fought oh, battle. Yeah. I mean, it is extremely frowned upon for the winner to not respond to GG after the, after the loser has conceded that, right? Uh-huh. You know, this, as a political science major, this is very intriguing because... This whole concept of civility, that when you find out the election result, Mm. normally it is expected for candidate who found out they didn't win to actually make that personal call to the winning candidate and actually say congratulations. And somehow the victor is not not supposed to say, ha ha, you suck, I (laughs) want more vote, right? I mean, that's how you make enemies for life. You are supposed to be like, hey, uh, thank you for calling. I really respect you. And yeah, that that kind of stuff, right? right? I think for some reason, we are losing that in the realm of real life politics. Hmm. Interesting point that... Perhaps there is really, yeah, something we can learn from gamers. This civil admission of defeat and respecting the guy who did it legally. I mean, you know, they, right. if you did it legally, that's why you have the board and oversight. But, <laughs> you know, if you do it well, you respect the guy. Right, fair and square as it were. I mean, don't get me wrong, right? There's many times that I have to type GG and I am not feeling respectful <laughs> nor you know you know what I mean I mean nobody yes, likes yes. losing. Let's let's get that straight, right? We're not we're not hypocrites here. We're not saying like put on slap on a face and of course you lost. It stinks. I, I know that from first hand experience mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. and over again, right? But you type GG not because it doesn't sting. Okay, you type GG because that's that's the right thing to do. Yes. You lost, but there needed to be a loser. It's you this time. But mm-hmm. he played his heart out just as you did. And it was a good match. It was a good game. And so you say it was. Man, I think our society 
can definitely benefit if we were to learn how to be an okay loser because not all <laughs> can win. Actually, talking about society, I feel like the gaming culture when we were growing up as young kids, you know, early teens, mm. it was very restricted. It was like when when the term gamer, like, oh, he's a gamer or she, mm. she's a gamer. Like when that was used, it doesn't mean that, hey, you know, they play Animal Crossing. Oh, you know, or like... <laughs> Like, it, it meant something different. Um, do you remember when the term gamer, like, oh, he's a gamer or she's a gamer? Like, what, what did that use to mean, you know? You sh- Obviously, it started with negative connotations. I think gaming, just in general, was, a, as with all new things, it was a subculture, it was a minority, it was frowned upon, it was mm-hmm. considered escapism, it was considered flights of fantasy. Um used to be, uh, maybe still is kind of, as with the people who can't, you know, there's the chalks and the physically fit <laughs> and, you know, the, 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 the popular and attractive per se, right? And you have the nerds on this side. And then uh, there's a subset of nerd called the gamers. Uh-huh. Which, <laughs> which is, yes, the subgroup of the nerds and the geek that constitutes right. the smaller core who also mm-hmm. happens to game. Sure. I mean, certainly they weren't popular. Certainly it, it, it was not an aspiration to become, which is a very different thing than it is today, I think. Yes, it's very different because um, I just saw a news article, I think it was yesterday, um, when they were mm-hmm. doing like a market research. So what you know, where do people spend money during this mm. COVID isolation? And sure, not sure. surprisingly, entertainment. Or I mean for sure. I mean <laughs> I hope <laughs> sure. that surprised to no one and not right. yes, no one got surprised by that. But gaming in particular as aspect of entertainment, I think in America annual 10 billion or more uh, annual (laughs) spending in gaming and so this is not just a small niche market anymore it's Mm. becoming a more culturally uh, acceptable form just like sports is Mm. and just like i don't know like drama netflix you know like it's becoming a major form of social awareness entertainment Mm. You want to talk about some of the top gamers? Like, do they actually make money? Like, oh, bro. What, what's going I mean, on there? <laughs> oh, the world has changed indeed. I guess I, guess I could put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. The esports scene has not caught up to professional sports, let's say. In, yeah, in terms of paying the player, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I try to pick someone whom everyone might actually at least have heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, League of Legends, undisputed greatest of all time is... Mr. Faker, mm-hmm. that is his um, in-game ID. He is undisputedly dominant, dominant in that game. You think of the game, you research who's good at it. Boom, he's he's there. Yes, right. Uh, there is confirmed reports that many Chinese professional teams have literally just slapped a blank check. Like we will pay you whatever <laughs> you want. Like we would straight up, we would just pay you whatever you want. You, you, you come to us, we'll pay you. Wow. But he has stayed in his team of uh, SKT1 in Korea. Um, and obviously salary information is kind of classified. But sometimes we find out public figure salary, right? Sure. I mean, there's free agents. There's just simple math of um, what contracts do, what tournament winnings, etc. But Mm -hmm. right now, Faker is making around, basically around one-tenth of what Messi makes. One-tenth. Now, some people might not know, you know, how much does Messi make? Sure. It it must be said that Messi makes around like $26 million. A year. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) 
Year, okay. yes. Yearly yeah. salary. Yearly salary. We're not talking about lifetime earning. No, we're talking we're about talking one about, year you know, salary. His 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 net worth or, or whatever. Okay. Uh, we're just straight talking about salary. Just how much he makes per year. Yes. Right. Again, this is a ballpark figure. You know, you got. Okay. Yeah. For sure. The yeah. Contract details are obviously closely guarded by clubs uh -huh. and whatnot. We can pretty reasonable sure, right? So yes. Baker makes around two to three million a year. Two to three million US dollar a year. And this is before his lucrative advertising contracts. Um, he's sponsored by Benz. He's sponsored by Nike. He's sponsored by a, a host of other different uh, companies. And those are really not public information, so we don't know. But we can know Massey's salary, though we don't know exactly how much ad money he's making on top of exactly. his branding. So for Faker as well, that means his set salary is about two to three million. Right. But his income might be much higher. Oh, guaranteed. On one side, you're like, oh, okay. Well, one tenth of Messi. Well, okay. First of all, Messi makes a lot of money. Let's just let's just be real. Okay. Yeah, twenty six million a year. It's pretty good earning, no matter who. <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think that's right. pretty decent income. Mm -hmm. And let us be real, okay? Okay, soccer, I actually don't know off the top of my head how long mm -hmm. soccer has been around. Hmm. We need a British guy for that. British historian. Uh, There's debates, obviously, as to like... Ob yeah, obviously. Like, like what... Like, if, if, if kicking a ball is soccer... Right, right. It, you know, it, since it, when... It was there <laughs> since, like, since... Humankind had ball. I mean, okay. or anything ball shaped. So, so let's let's the, let's the, the professional league of 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 soccer, right? To to build up the league, to build up the at least a hundred years. Sure, sure. Right, at mm -hmm. least a hundred yeah, years. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. Yeah. League of Legends. Okay, the game launched in two thousand and nine. Okay, I don't. People, <laughs> you know, people think that. Uh -huh. Oh man, if I know it feels like league's been around forever. Okay. It's barely 10 years old. Yes, in a gaming field, it's definitely. Barely yeah. 10 years old. Okay, it's a little bit a little bit past 10 years old, okay? It's mm -hmm. like it's like 10 and a half, like 11 years old, right? 11 this is the professional this is the salary of a professional gamer in a game that's 10 years old. Yeah. And we're talking about one tenth of Messi. Right. Yeah. You give esports another ten years, I don't know where it goes. You're right, actually. And we are living in a brave new world. In fact, I would say, you know, most people feel like, you know, YouTube was just like a always there. Like, you know, <laughs> like the world always had YouTube. But sure. YouTube was launched mm. two thousand and five. Two thousand five, man. That's like fifteen <laughs> years old and yeah. it's pretty amazing. Brave new world indeed, man. Times they are changing. Let's just kinda talk about then what people are doing to make money or earn income or you know, what is worth doing. I feel like the industrial era, mm -hmm. the main point is manufacturing. Sure. Can you make it well? Mm -hmm. Can you make it a lot? Sure. Can you make it for cheaper? <laughs> like that that is basically what business in you know industrial thing is. Mm. But I think it's changing in our current world. Oh, it has changed for sure. Mm -hmm. And so we're not gonna talk about this today, but this top YouTuber, let's say, mm, sure. you know, how much are they earning? Um, it's pretty phenomenal. I was a um, youth pastor, student ministry pastor. So I get to talk with a lot of, you know, uh, you two right now, you get to talk to a lot of high schoolers. Sure, when you sure. talk to middle school and high schooler, 10 years ago, it would have been unthinkable for any student to say, hey, later, I want to be a YouTuber. Like that, that <laughs> didn't exist. Right, right, yeah, right. Streamer. Like that's like a new thing that didn't even exist before. I think the world is already 
changed to a degree. Changed and not changed, right? I think the base idea that the economy kind of runs by supplying the demand has not. (laughs) Yes, yes. I think what has changed is what people demand. Mm -hmm. So it was that there was a time when what people demanded were manufactured goods. I mean, we still do. I Um, mean, of course, of course. (laughs) Fair, right? But the supply has increased to an extent that the demand has gone down. Mm-hmm. There was a time in the world when good fabric was worth uh, three, four months of work yeah. to get to and to bring back. Not anymore. Not anymore. So what are what is people de- especially now? What are people demanding? As you said, uh, entertainment, amusement, as it were. Take my attention away. Entertain me. Streamer, at least in my mind, simply are the supplier of entertainment for which they will get paid. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting to think about, okay, if, if something has changed, it's probably the ease of the entry into the field. Yes, it's way more accessible now. Right now, especially with the demand being entertainment, mm-hmm. it, it costs you nothing to start streaming. Laptop, maybe. Right, I mean, sure. I mean, there, obviously there's software requirements, but you can choose today to stream. And in fact, people will pay you to stream in some sense to start something yes right twitch will pay you if you have enough people watching you that that's phenomenal to me right that is that is a brave new world right your job is to capture people's attention and if you capture enough attention then we will pay you for the aggregate of that attention as it were this is very interesting. If people are watching it for free, obviously you're not paying YouTube to watch. People who are creating, as we just said, they're not paying money to create or not too much anyway. And they just upload whatever or just stream whatever, you know, you just mm. pay for your own equipment maybe. But so then, who the heck is paying? Mm. Here we have the very interesting and mysterious phenomena that is streaming, right? So I don't pay when I go to Twitch. Of course, Mm -hmm. I watch a little bit of ads. And obviously, a streamer is not paying Twitch for the privilege of streaming. In fact, for the vast majority of professional streamers, as it were, Twitch pays them. Yes. Yeah, you get paid to stream. Then who the heck is bankrolling all this, as you were? One, it's ads. Obviously, the more people that are watching your stream, when you play an ad, the more people watch that ad. And ads and marketing is a powerful source of income. I think very important that somehow, if you're not paying for it, you are the commodity. (laughs) So if you have not paid for it, you are the very thing that is being sold here. So the commodity here is actually people's attention which the companies who are selling ads Hmm. see it as they purchase that. So what is being paid for by the company? It is the time and attention of the people who are watching these for free. Quote unquote free. But you are the product. Hmm. (laughs) You are the product that's being sold. And the companies who need to market, they buy the product, which is your attention. This is not only for gaming. This is, in fact, most of modern entertainment, I would say. It's the people. It's our attention that is the product. Um, If my time and my brain attention is being sold for money, I think there's a good case that we should treat it as precious and important. We live in a strange world where, listen to me now, right? A a profit-based organization that has no stake in the individual well-being of a person values their time and their attention more than many times a person, him him or herself, Mm -hmm. right? 
Mm-hmm. When I turn on YouTube for an hour, there is an organization, there is a huge company that goes, no, that's valuable. Yes. If you want, I buy it off you. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I buy that hour off you. I buy your attention off you. I, I buy I buy the right to present you my ideas mm-hmm. and my thoughts to you. I buy that. I pay good money for that. Mm-hmm. And I go, man, if a company that doesn't care about me thinks that highly of my time and my attention mm-hmm. i need to think that at least that much highly of my time and my attention right well said bro well said and i think in this age of uh binge watching <laughs> you know that, that's a that's, that. a that's a that's a real thing right and it used to be binge drinking only when, when the culture talked about binge anything or binge mm-hmm. eating you know binge normally had to do with consumption that the, right. the whole language usage and now it's consuming things that are ephemeral it's, it's not solid we're not consuming like a physical thing but we are consuming something and binge watching it's like a real thing it is good to be mindful about what then am i valuing i'm not actually suggesting that we quit the modern digital world <laughs> Mm. But I think it's just we just also need to have balance. By the way, I'm a history major. Ha ha. <laughs> there has been movements of Christianity to kind of remove oneself from the world. Uh, there's the monastery movement and yes. community movements out of Germany and things like that. And mm-hmm. and I'm not against these things. Great things have come from these things. Mm-hmm. But the majority opinion has been that our job is to influence the culture and not isolate ourselves from the culture. Mm-hmm. And if the culture right now people's attention is important Mm -hmm. the kind of images the kind of ideas that we get to present in front of people is worth our money worth our tactics worth our consideration well in some sense christianity has been ahead of the curve in that Mm -hmm. sense we have always valued people's attention we have always valued the opportunity shall we say to present Mm -hmm. an idea in front of people in fact i think it is the modern church that's kind of taken that for granted and kind of left that historically it it was a secular world that valued what people could produce and it was the christians that valued what people thought about yes and somehow we have gone into this weird reversal where the world now values what people think about. This is a deep question. If some of the people who are listening to this are actually Christians, we can think about what in the world you know, are we valuing as churches, as Christians? What do we value? What are we willing to spend money and time and energy on? I think it's a good reflection. Moses, it's been great chatting with you. This has been thoroughly enjoyable, far more enjoyable than I thought it would be. So I'm very happy about that. I too am very happy that we can have a serious conversation about game. (laughs) As this series progresses, we'll run into more weightier topics. And I'm sure we'll run into things that we will disagree or or feel more passionate about. (laughs) I think it has just been fun just starting with something kind of casual, but also with serious implications. We can no longer ignore this cultural phenomenon called gaming. Anyone who works with youth, anyone who has kids, anyone who has nieces, anyone who has anybody who is growing up right now as early teens, this is part of life. This (laughs) game is not something that is like a hidden niche mark. This is something so real, so in your face. Everyone knows it. So I think developing that sensitivity to think Christianly 
to think biblically about what this is and what's the best way to engage in it. Total abstinence might not be the solution for all Christians, maybe for few, but not for super majority. And I think our future conversation could deal with more of the related issues as it comes. Is there one right answer? Possibly not. But being in our position of, well, at least for me, of just meeting daily with a lot of high school students and having kind of been firsthand witness to the rise of this gigantic industry called gaming, I think we do have a lot of offer in terms of balanced and weighted perspective. Yeah. What does it mean to have a good life? Good human life. <laughs> Maybe these are something that we can talk about in the future. Indeed. Well, folks, I think that's it for today's conversation. Thank you for listening. And we do hope that you can join us as we're planning to do weekly podcast. Yeah, man. And thank you, Dave. Oh, thank you, Mo. David. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Mo or Moses. It's been great. And I, for one, very much look forward to doing with you every week. Sounds good. Thank you, brother. And see you next week. See you next week. Thank you.